Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We are beginning our fall series. Our fall series always includes Sunday morning messages, teachings. It includes a Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on Facebook Live, also is then turned into a podcast uh, of devotionals from our workbook. And the workbook, you can find, we, we do this, we give it out for free. It's on our risenking.life website. Uh, I know I kind of say this every time, so it may not mean anything to you anymore, but this is the best one ever. Oh. <laughs> I, I was so challenged by this. What, what happens is uh, usually, you know, three to six months ahead of the fall series, Lisa begins to hear from the Lord, and the Lord begins to speak about what will be the theme, what will be the, the format that we'll use, and the Lord began to put on her heart this summer that what we need is a reset, is to be able to take everything that's going on in our lives right now and begin to make the changes that the Lord wants us to make, not only, not only superficially, but deeply. And in order to make those, those deep kind of changes, he's been stripping away through our circumstances. He's been stripping away things that we counted on, things that we felt we had control over. He's been stripping away these things, not because he's mean, but because he wants to reset and realign our place and our position so we can live in blessing and in favor. But in order to do that, you have to let go of some things and you have to change some things so that you can move forward and you can move forward well. And so that's what this series is about. We have small groups that meet every day uh, to process together this. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Now, my understanding after many years of being in ministry is when you begin to talk about change, three things happen. Either the fire falls or there's backfire or there's no fire. And two out of three are not good. Backfire, no fire. And so what we need and what I'd like you to join with me is that we all get on page and say, Lord, we want to change what you want to change. We want to reset. So as we look and think about this together, uh, I want you to understand four things that absolutely have to be a part of your thinking if any of this is going to make sense to you. So here's a truth that I need you to know. If what you believe is not true, then what you feel will not be real. And what happens is many of us try to change our feelings, not understanding that you have to go back and reset your default beliefs. You have to reset your values so that then what you feel will adequately reflect what you believe. Now, some people say to you, feelings cannot be trusted. Feelings can absolutely be trusted to give you an accurate diagnosis 
of what you're believing and what you're valuing. The problem is that often the feelings show us that we don't value what we say we value, and we don't believe what we say we believe. And so you have to go back and you have to say, here is where I need the reset. I need to reset the default settings on my beliefs and on my values. So the first of these that has to be there is that you and I, if we're going to really live this life victoriously, we have to have an extraordinarily deep understanding that we are living in the grace of God, that we are in the realm of God's grace, and that you don't want to be in any other realm but the realm of God's grace. If you are in the realm of works and law, you are condemned. You're condemned. This is why you cannot hold on to bitterness against other people. This is why you can't be unforgiving of those who've even hurt you because if you are saying, I hold you to my justice, then God will have to hold you to his justice. And what they did to you might be terrible and awful, but there is no such thing as a venial sin. All sin is mortal. Your venial sins only are outward expressions of how mortally dead your soul is and how spiritually bankrupt you are. And the need to call and justify and say that was just a venial sin shows that we will self-salvation to the, to the lie all the way up to the end. You understand, if, if we can see your sin, it means that's just the iceberg. Underneath, there's a whole lot more going on. And in order for you to really change, it has to be in the atmosphere of grace. I don't need to deserve it because he gives it to the undeserving. I don't need to work for it because he gives it as a gift. You see, if you live your life on the basis of works, you'll only ever get a salary. Now, if any of you are getting a salary that's too much, you can share it with me. <laughs> I have never heard someone go, man, my company's paying me way too much. I need to give some back. Most of us are going, going can't believe this. You and I, we need to live with an extraordinary understanding of grace. In other words, you've got to operate from a place of favor, not a place of trying to gain favor. If you're trying to change to get God's love, you're not even a Christian. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You receive him. I love him because he first loved me. It's either grace, friends, or you're not even in the ballpark. Secondly, is that there has to come a place within you where you're beginning to realize that God is trying to teach you to enjoy him. You cannot change if you hate what you're doing. You will change for a time. How many of you have had people who changed because they got caught? 
their hearts were not changed. They repented because they got caught. But what they wanted and how they acted was unchanged, or they changed for a time. I've seen bosses who got caught, and they changed for a time, and after a little while, they went right back to their old ways. I've seen husbands and wives who got caught. They changed until everything kind of died down, and they went right back to their old ways of doing them things. That's not change. That's manipulation. And you will not change, friends, unless you're growing more and more in love with him. I've seen people who speak in tongues. I've seen people who prophesy. I've seen people who work miracles who hated God in their hearts. The sign that will make you change is not supernatural expressions. Those can be very affirming. They can be authenticating, but they have to be affirming and authenticating a heart that's falling more and more and more in love with God. I have never changed for something I hated. I have changed for something I love. I go to antique stores. (laughs) Every time I go, I scratch my head. How did I get here? And I look across there, and there's this happy woman moving through the aisles of dusty old things. And I go, I'm here because I love her. (laughs) Love makes you change. Not just a little, but foundationally it makes you change. When Lisa goes on Friday, she goes, let's do something fun today. I know now to say, which home goods do you want to go to, dear? (laughs) I changed because I'm falling more and more in love with her. And because I love her, I love what makes her happy. And I love what makes her, her. You cannot change if you're not falling more and more in love with God. There are many people who say to him, well, if God would just do this, if God would just do that, let me tell you, even if he did it, it wouldn't change you. It is when you see with such clear eyes, the love for God, and it's growing within you, and you cannot contain it, that's when you change. The last thing is this, and I believe this is what he's been doing. See, God is stripping away all the things you thought were glorious. The security of a job, the security of your own health, the security of, of, of what's going to happen next. We live in a very unstable, insecure time. Why why is God allowing this to happen? I can't tell you all the reasons, but I can tell you one reason. He is stripping from our lives anything that is not glorious so that we will know what is glorious and so that we will learn to find him more glorious than anything else in our lives. Here's a simple truth. There are good things in your life that you have made God things. When you make a good thing a God thing, it's an idol. It becomes a competitor to God. Family can be an idol. Your work can be an idol. Your own reputation can be an idol. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when it becomes a God thing, then it becomes a a competitor. And God cannot allow success to his competitors. 
God will not give success to your idols. He will not resource your idolatry. So when you feel like he's stripping away, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he wants your heart to be his and his alone. Are you tracking with me? It's only going to get worse. If these four things don't become evident in your life, you will not be able to change, and this series will make no sense to you. But if these four things are are there and you're willing to develop them, not only will this make sense, you'll start discovering the secrets to a victorious, abundant life now. You'll find the same secrets that those who went before us used to change deeply. But here's the the foundation of all foundations. It's not simply that Christ is in you, although that is our hope of glory. It is that you are in Christ. Your union with Christ, your your connection to Christ, your covenant with Christ, your, 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 your intimacy with Christ is everything that is necessary to change because here's what I've learned in my 62 years. I cannot change myself. I'm not the power to change, nor am I the agent of change. It is Christ himself through his Holy Spirit who changes me from the inside out. And it is the confidence of being in him that even today he's doing what he needs to do to change what he needs to change, and he's giving me the power to make those changes. But what I'm responsible for, I go back. What I believe will be be revealed in what I feel. See, this is one of the hardest things about really getting mature in Christ is because he often is showing you how immature you are. Go through a season like this. Many of us are anxious. Many of us are angry. Many of us are distracted. Many of us are are blaming other people, holding others responsible for all kinds of things because we don't want to look and say, this is revealing what's inside of me. Many of us have used our charm, we've used our, our, our craftiness, our wits, our hard work, our perseverance. We've used all kinds of things to say, if I just do the right things, good things will happen. And yet we live in a world where even when you do the right things, good things don't always happen. You and I need more than just our own sense of right and wrong our own sense of morality, we need the Holy Spirit to be the agent and the power to change. That only comes when you are connected to Christ and Christ's very spirit is the power of change from within you. Listen to what J.I. Packer has to say. We use many very wonderful voices in this series. One of the great ones is the theologian J.I. Packer. He explains it this way. He says, The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. He was wearing the breastplate, or you could call it an ephod. He was wearing the breastplate with precious stones, gems that were placed into the breastplate. And on every stone that was in his breastplate were inscribed the names of the tribes of Israel. Now, Packer goes on to explain. He says, The New Testament is very adamant in saying that the high priest was only pointing to the true high priest. 
And that the true high priest is Jesus Christ himself, our great high priest. But Jesus is not ministering before an earthly altar. He's not offering sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. He himself has become our atonement. And what Packer says, <laughs> as our high priest standing before the throne of God, he says, it's not too much to consider this, to draw out that when you become a Christian, your name is inscribed to the heart of Jesus Christ, bearing it before the Father. When the Father sees your name, he sees an absolute beauty. Do you understand? At this moment, if you are in Christ, then Christ has taken your name and he has tattooed it on his own chest. But... It is to him a precious gem. He, he, he wears it before the Father. And when the Father sees your name, he says, how beautiful. God has decided that his wealth, his worth even in some ways, his, his entire resources are in us. We're his treasure. Here's the deal. Think about this with me. You can't get there by performing. You can only get there by faith. You can only believe that this is true. You can't make it true. You can't by trying to be a better person, by trying to be a more religious or moral person, or trying to be more righteous than the person next to you. You can't become inscribed as a gem on the breastplate of the high priest, except that Jesus has accepted you, and you've accepted Jesus. But you see, until you realize that's who you are, and how beautiful you are to the Father, then every change you make is trying to make yourself precious when he has already declared you precious. That is why so many people, when they change, they fail. I mean, think about this. I've, I've probably done thousands of marriage counseling. And, and usually somebody in the counseling, somebody has messed up. And the, the marriage or the relationship is on the rocks because this person has broken faith or broken trust. And one of the things that they do, it's so interesting, is they, they say, please don't leave me. I will do better. I will never do that again, and I will make sure I do better. And then they come back the next week, and you say, how's it going? Well, you know, she didn't acknowledge that I did better. She's still treating me like I committed the sin that I committed. I said, because you did. <laughs> you think one week? You don't understand, the way our brains are, we think I'm sorry is all we need to do. When we cause a gallon of pain, I'm sorry is a drop. It doesn't touch the pain. So if you think in some way that by saying, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to do better, that somehow you have done anything except be stupid. I'm going to say stupid a few times today. <laughs> because at some point we have to realize how nonsensical and irrational our thinking is. How we can begin to change from the inside out and we can begin to live as precious gems because we are precious gems. 
Not because we deserve it, not because we work for it, not because we don't screw up. But you see, the beauty of a gym is not because it's useful, it's because it's beautiful. Its worth is not worth just when it's, you know, when it's new. It's worth what it's worth its whole life. It's always worthy. It's always beautiful. It always has value. But the interesting thing is if it's a true gem, it always has great weight. Here's what I want you to understand. This is what glory is. Glory can be defined in three ways. It can be defined by beauty, which is not just that it's pretty, but it's pure. The purity of gold is what makes it so beautiful. The weight of something like a gem or or gold or silver, its weight is so heavy. In other words, when you have glory, you have a weight that can't be pushed around. It can't be changed. It can't be rejected because it's a weight that's heavy, even in the storm. But it also has worth and it has value. And here's the beautiful thing. You see, if somehow you're trying to prove your worth, if you're trying to gain your worth, you never do achieve. You never do receive all that is due to you. But you see, if it's unconditional worth, if it's by nature worthy or valued, then it's an eternal kind of thing. What this is saying is when you get inscribed on the breastplate of Jesus as a precious gem and your name is tattooed on his heart, you have a, you have a beauty that can never go away. You have a value that cannot diminish And you have a weight that can never be shaken no matter how the storms come. And Paul says, we know that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Until you get this and say, this is where I'm going to live my life. I'm a precious gem. I'm inscribed on the breastplate of Jesus, the high priest. I have beauty. I I have weight. I have worth. And no one can take this away. Until that's true in your heart, you will not change. Because, see, if I say to you one thing about you, and I say, you know what? You're impatient. Oh, no, I am not. Man, you seem very, oh, I'm not angry. Because no one can speak to you. Because you're still trying to prove that you're something you're not. It is only when you say, I am who the Father says I am, that then someone can say to you, you know, you've got an issue with anger. Yeah, you're right. But it doesn't change my beauty. It doesn't change my worth. It doesn't change the weight of my life. But now I can change Because my identity doesn't change just because you show me some data. Are you hearing me? So, if we're going to change, the agent of change has to be the Holy Spirit. If we're going to change, the power of change is not willpower. It's spirit power. That means you've got to be spirit-filled. Packer goes on to say, if you start to get this idea of being inscribed as a precious gem on Jesus' chest and your name inscribed and the Father sees you as a beauty, he says, here's what it means to be spirit-filled. 
It's to be melted with the spiritual understanding that this is what God sees when he sees you, that his eyes and only his eyes, his opinion and only his opinion, out of all the opinions in the world, no other opinion matters to you but the Father's opinion. And you begin to realize that he's the one that finds you more precious than all the jewels that lie beneath the earth. I can't fail to mention this. Do you notice when you look at precious gems, they're multicolored? I mean, I don't think any of you, if I gave you an emerald, would go, oh, I'm against green. <laughs> or if I gave you a ruby, oh, you know, red's not my color. No, you'd go, this is precious. I mean, you'd at least sell it. <laughs> and yet God has said his gems are the multicolored, multifaceted church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you understand how the church has failed to understand our individual identity, but also our corporate identity? That it is the multicolored facet of the gems that God finds so amazing, so beautiful. And yet, what have we said? Churches are one color, one race, one ethnicity, one culture. Do you understand? That's not God's heart. God's heart is that every color is beautiful to him. Whether it's darkness of skin or lightness of skin, whether it's, whether it's one culture or another culture. And, and, and here's the thing. You cannot say you're spirit-filled if you don't love all the colors. If you don't learn that part of being a Christian is saying, you're as precious as me. I'm not less precious. You're not more precious, but we're all precious. Because the one who purchased us said we were precious. And to in some way say, you're less precious than me. Are you less valuable? Are you less beautiful? Are you less in some way weighty than me? Is to miss the whole point of my identity and the corporate identity of the church. So here is what it means to be spirit-filled. It means to live from the platform that you're a precious gem to the Father. That you're inscribed on the Savior's heart. That he stands before the throne with your name. With your name is beautiful. <laughs> and here's the deal. That that needs to set your heart ablaze. That needs to melt your heart. So that you are growing in this love. Because if he loves me like that, then that provokes me to love him in return. Because... No one knows you all the way to the bottom like God does. And then knowing all the way to the bottom, he loves you all the way to the top. See, he knows exactly who you are, and yet he says, I see a precious gem. Because you didn't get there because you deserved it. You didn't get there because you worked for it. You got there because Jesus purchased you with his own blood and with his own life. And what I find so powerful in this is, you see, sometimes I am afraid of consequences. 
I'm afraid of people's opinions. And so I want my behavior to not be something someone can criticize. Or I want my life in some way to be something that other people can admire. But what I keep finding out is the Lord could care less about that stuff. And what he keeps doing is stripping away my veils and stripping away my mask and all the ways I try to maneuver and, and, and navigate through people and through life. And he keeps giving me people that just don't care about me or people who attack me or people who come after me. And you know what? What he's doing is he's not saying you're a terrible, awful person, Mike, and I put these awful people in your life. Instead, he's saying, he's saying, Mike, you're not there yet. He puts me in circumstances beyond my control so he can see how much I love control. (laughs) He puts me with people who are completely irrational in what they say about me, and then he says, deal with it. (laughs) I'm like, but they're not rational. He said, but do you see how much control you like? You see how much you love admiration? You see all these things? You see, what he's doing is I'm trying to hone my behavior. And he's trying to not let me hide my heart. And he keeps going after those places because he says, Mike, you're already a gym, but we got to deal with this. And it's hard to be mature. And it's hard to go towards maturity because you have to look at the data. And the data isn't always flattering. And what I found is I tend to love when it's useful to me. And what God is doing is he's saying, look, I've been saying no to your prayers. Will you still love me? I've been letting things happen that you thought would never happen to you. Do you still love me? And I have to admit to you, I'm struggling in those areas because I'm like, I prayed and my eye's not better. I thought you said you'd give me my sight back and you haven't. And he says, I'm doing this because I love you. See, if he gave my sight back, he would do it because he loved me. If he doesn't give my sight back, he does it because he loves me. And either way, I'm a gem inscribed with one less eye. I'm a gem inscribed on the only heart that matters. Are you hearing me in this? Because you see, you can't change till you start to see what he wants to change. What I want is for him to give me more willpower, more control, more power. I want him to give me, and he's, he's taking and stripping that away. And he's saying, will you have your heart melted by me when nothing's going the way you want it to go? Because in the end, you see, it doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if you can prophesy. It doesn't matter if you can, you know, move mountains or anything else. If you're not growing in love for the Savior, if you're not loving him beyond just him being useful to you, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that simple, and the scriptures are that clear about this. So... What is he trying to do as he strips this stuff away and resets us? Well, what he's trying to do is to restore the glory that you've lost. Would you say with me, beauty, Beauty. weight, Weight. 
and worth. What God wants to reset in your life is your beauty or purity, your weight, your heaviness, and he wants to restore your value. Look at what it says in Romans 3.23. What was the issue with sin? All have sinned and do what? Fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's the deal. In other words, he knows you have fallen short of beauty, of weight, and worth. And the, the comparison is not with the person sitting next to you. You might actually compare favorably to the person next to you. But that's not enough to sustain your life. The only way that you can really have a victorious life, an abundant life, is if the renewal is happening of the glory that was lost in your life. So that you have a beauty beyond your own physical attractiveness. That you have a weight beyond your own willpower. And that you have a worth or a value beyond your performance or your usefulness to society. Your heart knows you need this because you were created for it. There's a hunger in you for that weight. There's a hunger in you for that value. But what God is trying to say, you don't renew it by you getting more willpower. You renew it by repentance. You advance in the kingdom by more by what you give up than what you grasp hold of. What you're really, what you're really willing to say, I surrender is what gives you the forward momentum. So another scholar that I love is Sinclair Ferguson. You'll hear him a lot. And he says this, Paul's language here is loaded with the biblical motif of the divine image. In Scripture, image and glory are interrelated ideas. As the image of God, man was created to reflect, express, and participate in the glory of God in miniature creaturely form. Now, this is a theological statement that has practical application. One of the biggest things that every one of us in this room deals with is self-image. Do you know that studies show that you do not have the ability to form a self-image apart from what people have said about you until you're 11 years old? So depending on what your parents said, your teachers your coaches, your peers said about you, that's how you formed your own image of yourself. And one of the biggest things that everybody unconsciously or consciously is doing from the time they're born is they're trying to say, am I beautiful? Do I have worth? Is there anything about me that matters that's important? And for the first 11 years, you don't answer those questions Everybody around you answers those questions. Now, here's the thing. Even if you had good parents, they're just as screwed up as you are. (laughs) Every parent should start. If you have small kids, start a college fund and a therapy fund. (laughs) Go ahead and save up right now. Because you're going to have talks when they get in their 20s that are going to be very embarrassing to you. Where they go, Dad, you were horrible. And you, you go... Okay, let me have it, son. All right. I'm telling you what actually happened to me. So that's what I'm... (laughs) He said it a little little more vulgarly, actually. So I'll save that for some other time. (laughs) But here's the deal. What God wants to do is to tie his glory 
to your self-image. What he wants you to do is to have the beauty of Christ as the, as the source of your image of your own beauty. He wants you to have the, wor- the worth and the value of Jesus. You see, if Jesus died for you, it means he, he thought your life was worth as much as his. And the weight. You know one of my favorite psalms? It's just this little, little piece. It's when, it says... He gives you the anointing of the palm tree. It's kind of a crazy picture. But have you ever watched in a hurricane? The one thing that doesn't get uprooted are palm trees. They bend, they bend, they bend, but then afterwards they snap back. What God does when he renews your glory, he's, he gives you the anointing of the palm tree. So that though life, you feel it, you experience it, you go through it, it bends you, but it cannot stop you, it cannot break you, and when you snap back, you're strong, you're powerful, you're weighty, you have glory. I mean, that's a self-image. I mean, if your image of self is based on anything else, you could lose it. You can lose it quickly. Lisa often asks me, do you like me? I, I always say to her, I like you, I don't like the question. And then sometimes she'll say, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? And I go, of course I love you. I love me more every day, which is you know, a great thing for a husband to say. But if I say to her, suppose she says, well, why do you love me? I say, well, because you're beautiful. And she could say, well, what if I'm not beautiful anymore? Well, I love you because of the way you make me feel. Well, what if, I stop, what if you stop feeling that way? Will you still love me? You understand, what we're struggling with is that even the love of people tends to be conditional. You love me today, but can I really count that you're going to love me tomorrow when I'm no longer attractive? Can you love, will you love me if I'm physically in need? Will you love me if somehow I've said something or done something that makes it to where you don't feel what you once felt when you said you loved me? You understand there is no source here for your self-image that's going to give you that kind of weight, that kind of beauty, or that kind of worth. So what we find in the scriptures is very simply that the only one who can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Another writer who helped us frame this series is a man by the name of Tim Chester, and he said this, we failed to be the image of God we were made to be. We can't be the people we want to be, let alone the people we ought to be. Enter Jesus. Who is Jesus? The image of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this? What am I saying to you? Well, oops. I need to go back. Let's see if I can go back a second. I'm saying to you, this is, the na- this is the nature of the gospel. The gospel has come into your life to restore the image of God in you, to renew the glory of God as your self-image. 
That happens when you receive Jesus Christ as as our Lord and Savior. Every believer is immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But this is the beauty of the biblical teaching about God. God is so three that he's not just one, but he's so one that he can't just be three. And so what you see is you have the Holy Spirit, but by having the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you have the Father and you have the Son. The very glory that you need, the glory that makes you beautiful, weighty, and worthy is within you, but it's not you, it's him in you. It's as you receive Jesus, you receive glory, but you have to let him make that glory manifest from the inside out. I mean, Jesus alone is the glory of God. And so as you submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit, you're letting yourself be restored to the glory you were initially created for. This is where a true self-image comes from. This is where you were meant to be. Now, let me just, let me hit on one of the ideas because you see, if I, if I take this platform that I'm beautiful to God, that God's own glory is indwelling me and he's renewing my self-image with glory, then one of the things that comes up is he says, be holy as I am holy. And so I think one of the issues that happens to us is we have this terrible view of holiness. And the view is that holiness is somehow grimly with determination doing what you don't want to do. And the picture I have is when I was a kid, there were these vegetables that we ate in the South. I think they just picked them from the highway. Uh, yeah, I love them now, but I hated mustard greens when I was a kid. It's a very bitter, acidic kind of taste. But what they would do is they'd smother them in, in pork fat, which I didn't like either. So it'd be this big thing, you know, I'm not sounding very appealing right now, but it'd be this big thing of fat just kind of swimming on the water, and then these green highway things that just in the pot, and, and they'd put this huge help in our plate and say, it's good for you. Well, I think it tasted terrible. But my parents were like, you're going to eat it or you're going to be punished. And this, the, oftentimes the worst stuff was at my grandmother's house. And she was the slowest eater in Louisiana. And so the, 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 the challenge was you had to finish your greens before grandma finished hers or there would be punishment. And the punishment was severe for not cleaning your plate. It's in my grief journal. I've, I've really processed all of this. So, so here's how I looked at holiness. God, you're going to make me do what I don't want to do, but I have to do it or I'll be punished. That's not holiness, friends. Because you see, our God knows our hearts and he knows about choice. You see, if you're not cho- choosing to do it freely, you're not obedient obedience comes from the heart. It doesn't come from just bending your will. But the other thing is this, that oftentimes we have the thought, well, if I enjoy something, if I like something, if something gives me pleasure, then it must not be holy. 
And so if I'm enjoying it, God doesn't want me to enjoy it, so I should get rid of it. You, you want to know what's really happening? We don't have a taste for the good life. We don't even have the taste buds trained for what is good for us. Now, I can illustrate this really easily. Growing up in the South, we had this thing called pizza. But when I came to New York in 2004, I tasted pizza. I will never eat pizza in the South again. It's not pizza. It's bread with ketchup on it. Or I remember coming up here and I I had a New York cheesecake. Do you know they, they misnomer New York cheesecakes all over the United States? I don't know if there's cheese or cream or anything else in them. But all I'd ever had was Jell-O cheesecake. And mom said, it's New York cheesecake. When I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to her about that cheesecake. It was not, I mean, you take a bite and you go, that's not Jell-O. That's cheesecake. Do you understand what he's trying to do when he resets you? He's trying to give you a taste for the real for the genuine, for the authentic. He's saying to you, do you not understand? You spent your whole life eating what does not satisfy. Sin promises but doesn't deliver. You understand? Think about this. If you lie, it seems like it's going to get you out of a mess. But you can never defend a lie with the truth. So therefore, it doesn't have any real value to it. It's not beautiful. It's not pure. And you're going to have to lie again or you're going to get in more trouble. So it doesn't have weight. But when you speak the truth, you never have to use a lie to defend the truth. Because the truth itself will defend itself. See, uh, Spurgeon used to say, and I think Calvin said it first, how do you defend the Bible? The same way you defend a lion, you let it out and let it take care of itself. Are you hearing me? Please understand this. The gospel is not just what you begin with to get saved. The gospel is what you live with to thrive, to more than survive, to flourish. I got to finish. They're starting to play music on me. All right, I want, to, I want to close with two things. Can you stay with me a little bit? Just let the music be gravy, you know, icing on the cake. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses is speaking to the people. This is his last sermon to the people. And he says to them, he begins to explain to them, he says, God didn't love you because you were great. You were not great. You were, you were a kind of a loser country. You were a loser nation. Moses says, but he loved you, and then he brought you out of Egypt. Here, this is circular, you see. The way God loves you, the way God thinks about you is circular. You've got to get the circle. Basically, what God is saying, I loved you because I loved you because I loved you because I love you. You see, he's saying, I didn't love you because you were serviceable to me. I didn't love you because you did this to me or this for me. I just loved you because I loved you. In this last season of my life, especially as I've prepared for this series, God has been stripping stuff away from me. He's been breaking me in ways I haven't seen 
maybe ever before. And I know what he's asking. He's asking, will you come to a new level with me in intimacy? And what I've realized, and I, I, sometimes it's embarrassing to realize that I, I don't have capacity to love him just for who he is. I love him for what he does for me. And I get angry when he doesn't do what I want him to do or what I expect him to do. And I have to say to him, Lord, I don't even have capacity to love you like you love me. Because I know he loves me because he loves me. And he's asking me, will you go deep with me so that you love me in the same way I love you? And I say, Lord, I want to love you just because I love you. But I, I'm struggling with that. I want this to happen, and I want this to take place, and I don't want these things to happen. And he says, but will you love me just because you love me? And I say to him, yes, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to be the agent of change in me. You're going to have to be the power to have that kind of love because I've always mostly loved what was serviceable, what was useful. And you're asking me to love where I've not been completely before. But you see, because I can see myself inscribed on the heart of Jesus, because I can see how the Father sees me as a precious stone. And I know he did it just because he loved me, not because there was anything precious about me. Then I can love him back and say, I love you because I love you. I'm asking you for the next seven weeks, will you go with me there? Because he wants to give you and me the capacity to be reset. I thought of this picture. Sometimes your wedding ring, your diamond or precious ring that you have, sometimes the stone gets dirty. Sometimes it gets loose. Sometimes it almost feel, you know, it can be lost. And what do you do? You have to reset it. He's He's resetting us as his precious stones. Will you let him do that? Let's do it together.